Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, come now and grow our faith. Come and deepen our hope and strengthen our love. And come and water within each of us the desire to be your faithful family forever. Amen. Um, last week, I asked the question, posed the question to us. I think it's a question that we need to wrestle with around uh, what's happening in the Middle East. And uh, the question that, one of the questions that it invites us to wrestle with is how would we respond if uh, our community was attacked? leaving 1,200 dead, how would, we, how would we react? What would we want to do? Or how would we want to respond if we have been held captive in literally an open-air prison for 75 years? What would we want to do? And so those questions need to just linger frame what we, we are saying, because it's very easy to have very clear positions about events far away until they happen close at hand. And then who we are comes to the fore. And what we were saying last week is that it's too late to decide who we're going to be when it happens. It's too late to decide who we're going to be when it happens. We have to train ourselves to be who we want to be when it happens. And that's the same as the issues that I raised during our peace and hope and justice prayer around police brutality, not far from us, extortion rackets, the fishery, you name it. So our, our reading that Floyd read to us from Matthew 25. To, to understand it, we need to rewind a number of chapters to set it in context. Um, so I'm going to go back four chapters. Um, this is the time where I, I wish I had been one of those kind of bit more charismatic pastors who enforced that every member of the congregation bring their own big floppy Bible, <laughs> you know, and we had a culture of everyone walking in with their big floppy Bible, that then I could say, turn to page so-and-so, and you could see it. Um, anyway, so because you know your Bible so well, Matthew 20, you, you don't need them, Ma Matthew 21 um, Basically, Matthew 21 has Jesus tossing some tables over in the temple. Tossing tables over in the temple. He loses his rag, Jesus. Um, and, he, and he shouts out these words. He says, you've, you've turned this into a den of robbers, a den of thieves, which should be a house of prayer for all nations. Um, in other words, this place that should be a life-giving place 
is a place that actually steals life, thieves' life. It, it's an institution that is living the exact opposite to its original design. It's become exclusive and excluding and exploitative. And we must learn from that, that even the best intended institutions over time can begin to exist for themselves or to exist for a select few and not for all. And the moment that that happens, it begins to bring death rather than life. And as it brings death rather than bring life, it itself decays and dies. And in its death throes, it becomes more survival orientated, more exclusive, more exploitative, and so it's, it quickens up the spiral of death. That is true of almost every single institution in the world, not least religious, political, economic, you name it. So Jesus tosses over the, the tables, and then something really interesting happens. The blind and lame enter the temple. They weren't allowed to. And we read that they're healed. Well, obviously they were healed because inclusion and belonging heal excluded people. So just in that presence of Jesus' presence, it begins a, a life-giving institution again as it includes and gives everyone a sense of belonging. In other words, it reclaims its original purpose and occupation. Anyway, the religious leaders, they get angry and, um, at Jesus. Jesus went further to speak about this fig tree that was without fruit. And back in the day, the fig tree was a symbol for the nation. And so what Jesus was saying is, as a nation, you're impoverished. You should be nourishing people, but you're leaving them hungry. And the religious leaders then come to Jesus and say, by what authority are you doing these things? Throwing the tables over and speaking about fig trees. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? That's such an interesting response. Like it's about, you remember there was a video exposing crime in Polesmore Prison. You remember that video? And do you remember how the authorities replied? It wasn't gosh, there's, there's criminal activity in the prison. No, who gave you the right to take a video recorder into the prison? It's like protocol stuff. By what right? Are, they're not disputing what Jesus is saying. They're disputing his right to say it. As little people do, petty people. So they asked some Jesus some questions um, like that, and he says, look, you ask me questions, I'll ask you questions, and uh, they aren't able to answer his questions, so he refuses to answer theirs, and then he tells some parables, and the parables are there to help these religious elites 
see themselves for who they really are, people who say one thing and do another. And then he tells some more parables to put them on their right track. In chapter 23, Jesus now speaks to the crowds, no longer the religious leaders, but he speaks about the religious leaders in their presence, so they overhear, and he, and, he, and he has a litany of woe unto you, but woe unto you, woe unto you. And all his woe unto yous are to the, the powers that be, the religious elite, and they're all around the hypocrisy of them. Basically, doing one thing, teaching one thing, doing another. And Jesus goes on to say, well, the greatest among you is the servant. He introduces servant leadership. How many of you have been on many leadership seminars? Any been to a leadership seminar before? Huh? Any, any of you been to a servant seminar? Uh, now we've got the problem with our MBAs. Now you know the problem. Now you know the problem. MBA, to learn how to be a servant, doesn't exist. Your blind guides, says Jesus, you tithe dill and herbs and everything like that, but not justice and mercy. You clean the outside of your cup, but inside you're greedy and indulgent, and you, you like whitewashed tombs, very nice on the outside, but dead bones on the inside, and you make monuments to the prophets of old, but in actual fact, the new prophets today, you kill them. And then he laments over Jerusalem. He laments over the city. He says, the city that kills the prophets. In other words, Jesus speaks about the systemic injustices in the world. That it's not individuals killing the prophets, but the systems that kill the prophets. I must tell you, this video of the police going into a barber's shop in Mowbray, there's a woman with a baby on her back and another man in a tiny, tiny room. There must be a camera in the corner, which they do not see. And one young police person begins to beat up this man to the point that he hurts his knuckles. So you see him now addressing his own knuckles and then takes a baton but what's most disturbing, if there's something that could be more disturbing than that, is that two other or three other police people walk in, male and female, and they walk in while this person is on his knees being beaten, and they just look around. There's no sudden movement of their head to what is happening. There's no addressing their colleague. There's just silent indifference. Now that is systemic. That's a culture that's rotten in an organization. That's Mowbray Police Station, not, not 10 kilometers from here. 
So Jesus laments. We should be lamenting over Mowbray. And the result, says Jesus, you're going to be left desolate. That's what's going to happen to you. Decay. Then he comes out of the temple, chapter 24 now, and he speaks to his disciples who are saying something about the temple. In other gospels, they're admiring it. And Jesus says, you see this temple, it's coming down. It's going to be thrown down. Why? Not because of some act of God, but because when an institution is meant to bring life, but it brings death, the consequences of that will cause it to self-destruct. Eventually, it will come tumbling down, like the police in this country. Now, there are consequences of that then. So you can make choices, as someone has said. You can make choices, but, but you don't get to decide on the consequences of those choices. And then what happens when you see the consequences, if you only focus on trying to address the consequences and not the cause of the faulty choice in the beginning, then you, you try and mitigate against the consequences and you cause the spiral to get smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter, and finally the collapse happens. So Jesus then says, these are the signs of the end of the age. Now, end of age. Notice what he says, end of age. He does not say end of the world. Nowhere does Jesus speak about the end of the world. Get over it. But the end of an age. You and I, some of you here, have lived through the end of an age. We've lived through multitudes of ends of ages, in fact. 1994 was the end of an age. Doesn't matter how many people say nothing's changed, it was the end of an age. There's lots to change still, but it was the end of an age. 1989, the war comes down in Germany. It was the end of an age. We've lived through the end of ages that come to an end. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says, some of you here will, will, not, will, will not die before the end of the age. He didn't get his timing wrong because the world is still around. He's talking about the end of that regime. I'm telling you now that there are some of you here who will, who will still be alive when the end of Mowbray Police Station happens. It will be the end of an age. When there's accountability there. Where people are held accountable and new people are put in there who will transform that institution back into an institution of life. So he's speaking about this world and, and the systems in this world that are robbing people of life. Do, do you notice that none of the powers that be come to Jesus and say, sure, Jesus, how do we turn back into an institution of life? No one asks the question. All they do is trying to protect their faces off the CCTV cameras. That's what they want to do. But no one asks, Jesus, how do we transform this institution? 
And Jesus says, um, they're going to be false messiahs. He warns us, false messiahs. Who's a false messiah? We have many putting up their hand these days. False messiahs are big men. Big, strong men. That's a false messiah. Vote for a big, strong man. The big, strong man who's going to come and sort everybody out. Vote for that person. That's The false messiah is the person who promises a quick fix. The false messiah is the person who says, I know what the problem is. They are the problem. We get rid of them and we fix the problem. That's a false messiah. And the false messiah is a person who brings liberation only for some, not for all. A false messiah is someone who says, we can change this world without changing the human heart. False messiahs, there are plenty of them around, promising this, promising that. Then Jesus says there are going to be many wars. Well, obviously there are wars. Why not? Why? Because violent systems of lawlessness, of people trying to uphold the law, but breaking the law, that lawlessness, will lead to rebellion. Rebellion will lead to greater oppression, and so the spiral goes. Middle East, South Africa. There'll be wars. Until it's constant war. The gaps between the rebellion and the war get closer and closer and closer. And then he says, those of you who don't participate in that, who don't subscribe to that, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be persecuted. And he says, many will fall away. Many will fall away. And then he speaks of uh, false prophets. What's the difference between a false prophet and a false messiah? Well, false messiah is the one who says, I've got the solution, quick fix, get rid of them. False prophets are those who say we've got problems in the world and they put up false, false theories for the problem. It's like, it's like 9-11 happened, happened because of, of gay liberation. That's a false prophet who names the problem, doesn't deny it, but says the reason for the problem is something that in fact it isn't. False prophet. Jesus says there are going to be plenty of them. And then he mentions this sentence. Listen to this. And because of the increase of lawlessness, now notice what I've been saying about lawlessness. It's about those who should be up keeping the law, protecting the law, instituting the law, but in fact abusing the law. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, says Jesus. The love of many will grow cold. And it seems to me that that's the point that Jesus is wanting his disciples to hear and wrestle with. He says, be careful of your love growing cold. There's going to be plenty of reasons for your love to grow cold. But just be careful that your love doesn't grow cold. And then he goes on and he says, but those who endure, endure what? Endure loving they will see the kingdom. What's the kingdom? The age change. The age will change and we'll be able to start again and have another opportunity to try and live more justly and mercifully. 
If we don't, Jesus goes on and warns more desolation, more false prophets, more false messiahs. Then he does some gardening analogies and weather reports. End of chapter 24. He says, be watchful, like a gardener who sees a bud and then sees it slowly blossoming. Be watchful of the times. See things. He gives a weather report. He says, I'm telling you, the end of the age is going to come as quick as lightning, as far as the east is from the west, lightning. So we get this analogy of Jesus saying, it's going to come slowly, naturally, like a bud. Just be observant. And the next second he says, it's going to come as quick as lightning and you better be ready. So we have this paradox of slow, incremental change and then sudden, quick change. And Jesus wants us to be alert and watchful to all of that. Not for the end of the world, but for the end of injustice. So that we can begin again with a just and merciful lifestyle and society. There's an example of that, that our history works, that gradual and sudden. Do you remember the Arab Spring? Remember the Arab Spring? The great kind of revolutionary movement, Egypt, around those areas there. The gradual, there was a person by the name of Gene Sharp, who was probably in his 90s. Gene Sharp was an activist trying to teach activists about nonviolent change. And he wrote multitudes of books about how we should really be practicing nonviolent transformation. And people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and others put that stuff into practice before and after his life. But in his 90s, he had, there was a little text of his called From Dictatorship to Democracy. Little text. And it became a kind of an unwritten text for the Occupy movement in the States, which was also a bit in Europe. Some of you remember the Occupy movement. And that little text was then translated into multitudes of language, ended up in France somehow, and was translated. And uh, many, many civil society organizations began to learn from this text. And then one day, a vegetable seller had enough of the persecution and set himself on fire. And that was the spark as quick as lightning to a revolution of transformation. We know the sad results of that transformation. It's gone back to what it was. Not too dissimilar to our own experiences of liberation in this country. That we get these moments of grace that come slowly through a text that is translated over and over and spread slowly and meaninglessly, it seems, as if it has no effect whatsoever. But then someone sets themselves on fire, figuratively or literally, and there's, there's a transformation that happens. Change happens slowly and it happens quickly. The question is, are the people ready to be present to it when it does? 
Jesus goes on and says, there are foolish and wise bridesmaids. The foolish, which is the text we read today, they took their lamps out, but with no oil. The wise took some extra oil. When it happens, those who didn't take extra oil are in the dark, and they ask, share your oil. Now, you would think that those who had extra oil would share their oil. I mean, wouldn't that be the Jesus thing to do? I reckon that would be the Jesus thing to do. Huh? You got extra oil? But what happens if the oil is such that you cannot share it? How can I share my fitness with you? If I've spent weeks training to get fit, how is it possible for me to share my fitness with you? I may want to, but how do I share my fitness with you? There are some things that one cannot share. How, do, how does a person share their life of contemplation and prayer? That when there's a moment in a police station or in a barbershop of persecution, and in an instant there's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come to break into that violence, it's at that moment that the people who walk in and pretend that nothing's happening, they expose themselves for their lack of fitness in the ways of justice and mercy. And it cannot simply be given to them as a gift. Shame, my, my, my nephew is playing rugby. He's about 11 or 12 years old. And he said to his father the other day, he struggles to tackle and he said to his father the other day, Dad, how I wish you could teach me courage. But I guess I'm going to have to learn that myself. A father can't give their child courage. As much as you may want to. So, it's something that I alluded to, I'm going to end with this, something I alluded to last week. Um, again, off script, forgive me for, the time's running out, I've got two weeks left, I carry a deep sense of what, what do I need to say. Um... I, I, so I'm worried about the oil in my lamp, all right? Because it, it seems that these moments of, of change are very gradual, and so they need a perseverance. They need a stockpile of oil. Um, 
to endure and to persevere. And then, paradoxically, they come instantly. You walk into a room and you see someone being beaten up, and it's instant. And you've got to make an instant decision, the kingdom of life or the kingdom of death. Those are the choices. Will the age of brutality end now with me here, or will it continue? And so you, you got this, this, you got refugees across the road. They've been sitting there for a long time. I've been minding my business. And then one day the bullet starts flying, and you've got to make an instant decision what you're going to do. And then you've got to live with the consequences of it. And I can, I can share with you that during that time of six months, my oil ran out. One of the most scary things that's ever happened to me, that I wished I could push a delete button to get rid of human beings. And that's no reflection on them. It's a reflection on running out of oil. The oil that keeps the light of love alive. The oil that keeps my eyes open to the sacred worth of another human being. And so part of me leaving, part of me you know, leaving this weekly event here, is to go and wrestle with that. That somehow that was lacking. Oh, you can do it in here, I guess, but I'm going away to find that. So I guess inviting you to, uh, to ask, to really engage, I, I don't know how one does this, but to really ask, what practices are you doing? What practices do you have that can fill, fill your lamp with a courage to fill your lamp with a, an ability to, to intervene in ways that don't diminish human life, that don't want to delete people? And all I can say is that with that my own practices were found wanting. That's what I can say. So find a practice, something that can help you to, to respond in life-giving ways. Because God knows that's the people that we need, courageously compassionate people. Courageously compassionate people. And if you are just struggling to get through your own day right now, <laughs> which some of you are, then may you be given strength to just get through your day. But slowly, slowly, Begin to build a practice that can sustain you to give more than simply survive your day. That maybe be able to help another to survive their day. Let's be quiet and if there's 
anything of God in these words. May they settle on our being. So open our eyes, O oh God, to the, the mysterious ways of your presence coming slowly, slowly, like the seasons. And then suddenly like lightning. Keep us alert and watchful. But give us a patient and persevering spirit. We long to do your will. We long to do your will. We long to be a people doing justice and loving mercifully and walking humbly. But we struggle. So come and give us an ability through your spirit to deepen our ways in justice, mercy, and humility. For we pray this in your name. Amen.